Hello and welcome back to It's Not Just Black and White, where the topics that we discuss are most likely going to be controversial. So if you're easily offended or even very difficultly offended, this may not be the place for you. As always, my name is Ali Laik and I'm sitting here with Corey Bearclaw yo, yo. and Jordan Brown. What up? Gentlemen, thank you for coming together today. This week might be one of our more exciting topics and this week we'll be getting into the Olympics. Uh, I know that we're all really excited to talk about these things. I know that we have a lot to say, um, but we'll start basically with ancient Greek history. Then we'll move on to Olympics, political or not. Then we'll go to modern day history of the Olympics. Then we'll go to current events because this year's uh, Olympics certainly had a lot of controversy around them. And we want to we make sure that we talk about it. So without further ado, let's get it started. So let's start in ancient Greek. Let's go back all the way over there. You guys know that this is kind of my thing. I always go back history as far back as I can. <laughs> There's always a BC and an AD in my day. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. All the way back to the beginning. All the way back. It's important. Yeah, you know, so the ancient Greek Olympics, they're a little bit uh, different from what we might see modern day, but there are just like the modern day ones are an adaptation or ev evolution of what the Olympics would look like today. The main thing uh, is that before it was Greek city-states that competed, and now the entire world competes uh, on, on the world stage. So the first ancient uh, Greek Olympics, they took place from 776 BC to around 793-794 AD, depending on who you ask. And it, it's basically an ancient tradition where the strongest people from all over the Greek world came to compete for the title of champion and that champion will break down what exactly happens in terms of rewards but that champion became immortalized through stories and statues on the same level as gods. It originally took place in a sanctuary of Zeus in Olympia in a region of Elis which is modern day I believe Ilia. Yeah and I think legend has it that it was like Hercules himself who uh, built this grand coliseum to honor his father uh, to have these games. You know, one thing I have to question about that whole like myth and stuff like that. So obviously there's people who built this. So where are the people who actually built it like saying, yo, no, that he didn't build this. We literally built this. We have the blueprints right here. Well, you know, uh, with Greece itself, they say that like Hercules was actually a man, right? And when I went to Bulgaria, I went through this museum, and I know this is a little off track, but I think it's relevant. Yeah. Uh, but so I went to Bulgaria, I went to a museum, right? And Bulgaria actually has a deep, rich like history. And I found these, these like carvings and stuff. And basically, these, these people, they were the ancient thessalonians okay you know these are like a like biblical group right yeah. but these like thessalonians they were writing about this guy hercules in greece so you think as far back as that was they were still talking about this man and i'm sure there was you know people who built it but maybe when he was alive as a man he had a hand in like building this See, you this know, coliseum in, in okay. ancient greece they also have stories of demigods right a demigod is basically half god and half human so hercules and there were many demigods um the one with the the ankle who's that guy oh achilles achilles so achilles was the son of athena and the story goes that 
he was this uh, you know kid that was born and she dipped him in like some sparkling water or whatever <laughs> some holy waters <laughs> and she dipped him and she held him by his ankle when he was a baby and that's why he had the weakness in the Achilles heel. And that's what ultimately like killed him. Yeah, so back to Hercules. Hercules was the son of Zeus. Zeus basically came down and, you know, like had relations with some woman who was a human. And then Hercules was born. Yes, but so. I mean, it still ties back to the question that like, who, where are the people say, who actually built the Colosseum that said like, no, 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 no. Hercules didn't do this all himself. Yes. This was this was a whole group event. This wasn't just me. I'm sure it was implied that like he didn't do it himself, right? But yeah, I he think was just uh, a great big architect. Yeah, and, legend, and you, you have know? to think the people who built it were probably like peasants, and they can't really say anything, right? It's and not they like believe their faith is going to be different, you know. And, yeah. And still, like, let's say there was a contractor. I highly doubt. Or there's most likely okay. There's most likely a mason, okay, a mason that built the, with the stones and whatnot. And there's a lot of these um, architects in ancient Rome, ancient Greece. That, that are famous that built all these aqueducts and things that you know they say that Romans built things we can't have or whatever so I'm sure wherever these blueprints are they might be around but for there's no way they're around I mean dude 100% it's gonna be real difficult the tablets have disintegrated but it's yeah. gonna be real difficult and if it was papyrus you know so maybe in the library of uh, Alexandria you know when that got burned maybe we lost some stuff we lost a, like they we, said lost we lost a lot we didn't lose just some we lost pretty much everything, yeah, yeah, everything. We lost some. <laughs> they could have easily been lost in there isn't it yeah you know that's I mean? for another episode that yeah. we could definitely talk about the burning of Alexandria clearly we're huge fans of ancient history <laughs> yeah <laughs> but without getting sidetracked the Olympia is this is like a city and it's also where the sanctuary of Zeus is. It's also where the Olympic Games in ancient Greece took place. And it was named after Mount Olympus, which, as we know, was the highest point of the ancient Greek Empire and also considered where Zeus and his family and the other gods lived. And to compete in the Olympia at that time was the same or akin to competing amongst gods. And in fact, you were immortalized if you were champion. It was mostly men, and I say mostly men because there's a distinction that we'll get into later. It was mostly men, but the strongest men from different regions of the Greek world, um, thousands of people also came to watch. So they all came and gathered to this city. Now, there is some, some historical dispute between the religious origins of the games. So there's two main arguments. One is that it's a festival for Zeus named after you know obviously where where they lived that's why they said that it's named after it and a lot of sacrifices were made specifically to zeus and also the second one is it, there were funeral games held in honor of deceased local heroes because there was lots of rituals specifically lots of funeral rituals and rites and a lot of sacrifices were made they sacrificed a lot of oxen and parts of those oxen were completely burned and incinerated as as the sacrifice and then the rest were eaten by the people that were there attending the different events. And also, it, it became kind of like a pilgrimage. Every, uh, every time there was an Olympics or an Olympia, like the hordes of people would go. Merchants would be allowed to go there because it's safe. You know, uh, musicians, artists, the poor, some poor people would just go there just to be able to eat. And it became kind of this uh, almost a religious thing because it's a sporting event, but it was very based around like their religion and like, you know, paganism and whatnot. So the original games, they had some that were similar to ours or like adaptations of what we have now. 
or some were very different, right? Um, the first 12 games in ancient Greece, they, they're only a foot race, a 190 meter foot race. It was one race, one event. You come, you, and it was only one day. You'd come, you do the race, you'd leave. And that was kind of when it began. And it was more so like a local hero thing than like a nationalism type thing. Because it does even in Greece, in ancient Greece, develop into this nationalist pride type of situation where even emperors competed, you know. And I mean, when you think back to like when we were developing as kids and stuff like that, we think like the original race and original challenge between our friends is who's the fastest. Yeah. Right. It's like, hey, I'll race you. Let's play tag because I want to We That's a way of developing who's the in fastest and stuff yeah, like that. So it's like in our nature to see and compete with each other and like that's the basic most fundamental uh way to challenge each other and Great know point. who's the fastest so maybe that's why the olympics started because hey we wanted we want to know who's the fastest yeah, person i'll, yeah. beat, like, you, I'll beat you in a race yeah. buddy because yeah, it wasn't yeah. necessarily like weightlifting back then like it wasn't like people are going to gyms in the same way that we are today or even you so, know in like thousand years as afterwards. a whole of society in ancient greece yeah no not everybody's you know, lifting, like whoever could afford it would just wine and party and whoever can't would work in uh, in a farm. Because exactly. agriculture was like the biggest thing. In fact, the Olympics were held in the uh, in the summer because that's also the slowest period, excuse me, for farming. And that's why more people could eventually come as well. And they would have it at the hottest time of the summer because that's when the crops don't really matter. Right? You know what I mean? That's why it's Summer Olympics. And that's why eventually there was the adaptation of the Winter Olympics, which came about in modern times, not even in ancient times. So some of the events that were introduced later on are the pentathlon, uh, which was added in about 708 BC. It's running, jumping, and discus throw. So their running was a little bit different. They had a thing called the, the stade, which is the first level of the foot race, because they had three levels, which is a 200 meter foot race. Then they have the Diaulos, okay? The Diaulos is 400 meter foot race, it's double the stade. Then there's the Dolikos. The Dolikos is seven to 24 stades. So their races got pretty big, you know? They imagine like a... Well, we have the same ones, you know? We still have like the 200 meter. We still have the 100 meter. We yeah. still got the 400 meter. Yeah. We have the 800 meter. Um, and you have you the, go. I think also the, meter. the 1600. 1600. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. exactly what this is, yep. right? That's exactly. But if this says if that's 1600, seven to 24. Yeah, that's just about, that's about six, uh, six star days. You know, that's pretty cool. So they have that. And that stadium basically more or less looks like a today's football stadium or any Coliseum that we built today. So there's that, that influence again. Um, then there's jumping. So this is like a long jump type situation. They had these held these either stone or lead weights. Uh, they were called halteres, and before they so they would run, 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 and right before they uh, jumped, they would like push the stones back or drop them back to give them more leap, and they would leap higher. And these were these are not just strong men; they're like the strongest men. Okay, they're all fit. These are all they're all built like gods, and thus they believe that these guys can compete to a level to then become immortalized as gods. Um, discus throw, which is a stone that eventually became iron, lead, or bronze. It's basically the same thing that we do today, discus. Um, wrestling, which a lot of these uh, exercises that they did were like military exercises. So the wrestling was like a military type uh, thing because they had strong militaries and the city-states were always warring. The most famous being uh, Spartans, uh, uh, Sparta and Athens, right? That would be the most memorable one because they were always warring. But all these guys are warring. 
Um, then they had boxing. This was shocking to me. Like, it's not modern day boxing, but it's boxing. Like, you, yeah, you, yeah, you're throwing blows. They had raps called Himantes, uh, which is like uh, the raps that go underneath our modern day boxing gloves. They usually just have those. And then they fought like that, boxed, boxed. And then later they had leather straps. So it was like not leather gloves, but leather straps. That uh, the quote on here that we looked up was like, uh, <laughs> the that disfigured people's faces so, oh i bet man yeah, you'd be taking dude. some damage yeah dude for sure then there's the there's the pankration okay this is one of the most famous ones as well and this is a blend of boxing and wrestling this is basically the ufc this is basically they had a ufc and this was what it is pankration it's basically like you wrestle or or you you're you box you just fight to, until somebody's like defeated and this is like a there's an ancient greek myth of Theseus and the Minotaur, right? He goes in the labyrinth, he has to find a way, and then he sees a Minotaur, and then he has to kill that Minotaur. So the Pankration, that event, is based off of this story, uh, based off of this ancient guy. And Theseus also was considered to be a demigod. There you go. Because he fought the, a, a Minotaur, which is like a bull and a bull horse. Man. And a, yeah, bull man, horse, look at so each event, as you guys know now, is it was like a war training, right? And there's the marathon that we have now, but the marathon event was, wasn't added until uh, 1896 in Athens. They didn't have like a version of, of a marathon. But like to close off like the events that they had, they were like equestrian events. This is the last event, like horse races or chariot races. And they raced in, in a thing called the Hippodrome, which looks a lot like our football stadiums and track and field stadiums today. This is where you, you had a story about this too, right? About the, the Roman guy. Oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So the legend has it that this like Roman emperor, I forget his name. So apparently he entered this chariot race and it was an eight horse race. And he actually showed up with 10 horses and he ended up falling off his chariot during this race, right? So he fell off his chariot and they still declared him the winner obviously because he was a roman emperor so yeah, yeah. yeah he cheated and he fell off and, and he still won and especially like in roman times that was also like around the end of the olympics so these yeah. guys like you know obviously didn't exactly well over there like emperors could lose like ancient ancient greece emperors could lose and not be champion yeah that might hurt their politics on the way back yeah sure. well that would be like war i'm sure like later right yeah so in ancient times it was it started with one day, then in 684 it became three days, and then in the 5th century it became five days in terms of the ancient. And at that time there were up to 18 events, 18 events only, okay? And the sports are like, you know, they weren't even sports, they were just like, go run, you know, basically, or ride a chariot. You know, they, they, they didn't have like a sports necessarily concept. And now we have 16 days uh, and about 300 events with 35 officially recognized sports. So it's like, it's huge now. And I'm sure like, you know, they, ancient Greeks weren't so welcoming of other people's sports and things like that. They're like, oh no, this is what we do. And it's an ancient tradition. You don't want to ruin it until the Romans came and basically ruined it. So prior to games in ancient Greece, messengers called spondophoroi were sent across the Greek world to announce this Olympic truce. And that's known as the Ekecheria. And basically every participating city-state had to sign. And if they didn't sign, then they would be disqualified from competing in the Olympics this year. And this, again, this wasn't necessarily a city-state thing. This was just uh, the strongest people from each city-state would go. But there's no necessarily connection between the city-state 
and uh, then the athlete, just that the athlete was from there. But it wasn't like it was glory to the city-state or anything, necessarily. Or unless they won a lot, then we're like, oh, all these heroes came from there. And the truce is about no war was permitted in Olympia. And at that time, there was a ceasefire in the warring tribes or whoever's warring. And no arms were allowed to be carried into Olympia as to avoid all this, right? This facilitated safe passage uh, for all the athletes and the spectators. Uh, and then this truce initially started as one month, but eventually it was extended to a three-month truce, even though, you know, it was like a five-day Olympia. Yeah. But you had, like, celebrations and whatnot after, so, you know, you want to make sure that people followed. Um, and it's also a great place now for merchants, artists, musicians, all these other people to come in and, you know, sell their wares, show people their art. And like I said, poor people as well coming there to just, you know, party. Who took part in the Olympics? Women Greek citizens. They were entitled to participate, okay? And there's a distinction they have apparently between participating and competing, but they were not permitted to compete. So, and also several emperors competed. The loophole for women was that chariot races and horse races, the horse owners were declared the champion, not the rider. Even with the chariot, it was the chariot owner and the guy who owned the horses, or the woman who owned the horses, not the guy who was riding. I mean, it makes sense because it's the horse that wins the race. Yeah, but that's how anyone was allowed to own a horse, right? And that's how uh, Kiniska which was the daughter of Archidamos of Sparta, she became the first female Olympic victor because wow. she owned the horses. It was, that's a pretty cool that story. That is cool. Yeah. Um, and for the, rest, for the rest of the women who couldn't afford horses, okay, there was a separate festival called the Heraean Games, which were dedicated to Hera, which is the wife of Zeus. And this was created only for women, also in Olympia, and basically, it was a foot race. It was basically just a foot race, okay? And it was a foot race that was one-sixth the size of the men's, of the men's, like, track, basically. Yeah, so, like, 40-yard dash. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> was their whole event. Yeah. Well, that's cool, though. Another thing that was really interesting to me because, and I'm going to quote this from this one, but the ancient Greeks, they didn't just rely on goodwill to ensure fair competition. Okay, because people are going to try to cheat, do whatever it is, oil themselves up so that they're slippery or something like that. So there was all protocol and everything that you had to abide by. And athletes who broke the rules were publicly whipped. Um, whether it was a foul move in wrestling or a false start in running, officials called elites had the power to punish any competitor they felt was trying to gain an unfair advantage. In addition to the floggings, athletes could also be slapped with hefty financial fines. A physical reminder of what awaited rule breakers in the row of statues uh, with like Zeus lining the athlete's path to Olympia Stadium uh, where, they were, where they were paid their fines. So basically, could you imagine you if that was still there. like the same practice today, like outside of the fines? Like, it's like a walk of if, shame. If, you know, I mean like the whipping and stuff. Like, could you imagine if... <laughs> The athletes who got caught doping, it's like, okay, well, you're going to sit in the middle of the stadium and we're going to whip you. So there's... Like, yeah, well, you did, it's your fault you chose to do this. Yeah. We have like modern right on the day... Ass. Yeah. We have modern day uh, Olympic stories and modern day World Cup stories because World Cup is international too where like Iraq was an example, Afghanistan was an example where like their players underperformed and they lost. 
And when they went back to their country, they were tortured. Like Iraq was a huge story. It was either FIFA Cup or the Olympics where they were embarrassed and those guys were tortured. So that's, they like, you know, serious guys. Libya was another example too. Like Libya, they just killed those guys. In the, in the soccer games, if they didn't do well. Really? Yeah, so they're literally playing for their lives, dude. It could get wow. real intense. Yeah. That really doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> no, oh, it's yeah, not fair. kill the best players in our country. That's really going to breed yeah, no, better it's players. It's like, oh, you made us look bad on a global stage. We're insecure as a country. We're going to kill you because you shamed us. Yeah, well, that's where all the politics starts to creep into the Olympics. There's a huge, deep-rooted history in the Olympics of political motivations, right? You have some state-sponsored doping. There's also uh, obviously some cheating and you have these types of things. You don't win, you die or you get punished or whatever the case may be. States and countries that say we won't compete against another country based off their beliefs or uh, what they've done to us. An example is like yeah. Israel-Palestine, like there's Palestinian people who will not wrestle or, or go against Israeli athletes because obviously, you know, Israel-Palestine was a big yeah. conflict. It yeah. still is. Yeah. So... Another interesting fact about ancient Greece that, that I found out is that they competed in the nude. So they either competed in the nude or they had like a small white cloth that they covered their like intimate parts with. But basically athletes did that. And, and nudity in ancient Greece, they, they're kind of like uh, synonymous with each other. They're very comfortable with it and whatnot. But athletes did it to show off their physique, how built they were, you know, like all the different muscles they have and whatnot. So they just competed in the nude. Another interesting thing that I found is the word gymnasium comes from the greek word gymnos which means naked so there you go gym, uh, <laughs> gym goers everybody get naked <laughs> Just i think we're all really glad that the olympics are not competed uh, in naked uh, nowadays would be interesting though it would be it interesting would be very interesting sight you know one of the most interesting things we found was the differences in the prizes and rewards as compared to today and in ancient greece Ancient Greece was a completely different story. It almost mattered more to become a champion than it does today. Today, you get a few medals and you get a couple sponsorships and you basically like do a bunch of interviews. That that's really it. You're not really, you're not necessarily immortalized. So back in the day, there was no gold, silver, bronze medals, the prizes, and prizes were only awarded to one winner or the winners of like specific events. And the first was a wreath made of the leaves of the sacred olive trees at Olympia. Uh, another was winners could put up a statue in Atlas Grove. This is at the sanctuary of the gods at Olympia. However, only the wealthiest could afford that. And in some cases, uh, some champions were backed by like wealthier families in their city state and that's why they got to put up a statue but then they do become immortalized and their statues are put up in the same garden as the statue of their gods and they lived through like many odes and stories and poems they lived on they lived on for a long time as long as there was an ancient greek empire then also there was odes specific odes dedicated to the finishers by famous poets which were then performed when the athlete returned home and then were performed on and on and on and on. And the winners and their families were also invited to a giant feast like you can't even imagine. Like these almost seem like more meaningful things, you know. And I think yeah. this happens on a scale you don't you don't really talk about where Michael Phelps was hanging out, even though he was hanging out with Snoop Dogg or whatever. But you don't really, you know, you, I, I don't know. There's just maybe I don't watch the Olympics, but the Greek ones sound a little bit more meaningful to me now. The Olympics were so popular 
in ancient Greece that they were allowed to continue after the Roman conquest. And in fact, Roman emperors also got to compete with them um, in them. And as time went on, even in the Roman Empire, they kind of lost their size and they lost their prestige. And eventually it was like 1500 years later until it came about again. But Olympia crumbled as more and more invasions took place, earthquakes, floods. Um, the ancient Olympics finally ended in about 394 AD uh, as the Roman Emperor Theodosius, Theodosius I, outlawed all pagan celebrations. So meaning it wasn't, see, it wasn't necessarily about the sport for them. It was about the religious rituals. And once they were outlawed, they were, they're like, why are we going to go yeah, to Olympia? Like, we can't do our about? religion and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the first modern day Olympics, it took place 1,503 years later in Athens in 1896. And the father of the modern day Olympics, this is in around 1894. He brought this up to like, you know, global community or whatever was Baron Pierre de Coubertin. He was responsible for the rebirth of the Olympics. It's really interesting to think that and you had these Roman emperors who would go and compete, right? And you, that's probably where the, the Olympics really started to have its downfall, right? In that ancient times. It's because they kind of were like competing like a joke almost. They already conquered Greece. And I'm sure they would just like make sure that they won. They took the sport out of it in that sense and I, I guess that's a big like motivation as to why people weren't as into it anymore and it kind of just like went away for over a thousand years yeah you know a lot of these things like uh, so many things get lost in translation you look at the something like the olympic torch in like the movies and the shows they always showed it like in, at ancient greece or at olympia they had like a torch ceremony that's not the case they had torch ceremonies for other festivals and stuff like that but you know how now, like when the torch lights the, the cauldron or whatever the symbolizes the, the beginning of the Olympics? Mm -hmm. That only came about, let's say, in like 1928 Olympics in Amsterdam. And, and before that, maybe one time before, until we had the 1936. No, so 1928. Yeah, and then the 1936 one, there was a different one. Uh, that was the, Germ the Berlin Olympics was like the modern day torch. They, and the reason why I bring that up, when we get into our Germany conversation... That they had a huge elaborate thing with their torch because they really cared about symbolism and myths yeah, and things like this. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the end of ancient Greece. But what we can see is that these events are, are significant in meaning and in value to the people who choose to take part in it. So let's kind of now discuss what does it mean to each region to compete in, in an event such as this. Like what kind of things have come about? Like patriotism comes about, nationalism comes about, and here is, here is the place where nobody is offended by nationalism, right? But this is a very nationalistic thing. What do you guys think? You bring up the point of nationalism in terms of the Olympics. You look at all these different countries and see that they're obviously competing for gold, and there's even this thing where it's a competition of how many medals can you bring home, which is a big thing, but also how many gold medals you can bring home. Because, you know, China and America are obviously in a huge race for it. So when I think that we're sending off these these great athletes to uh, represent our country, I think it's a big um, honor thing. We it, It's almost like we're sending someone from our family to represent us, to show that how powerful and great we are and to be able to bring home the gold medal in whatever sport it is, is um, something that 
obviously grants respect to the individual that got the gold medal, but also builds more respect for the country because it obviously means that they're breeding better athletes because of how they treat their society in a way. So, I mean, but okay, you're sending the strongest and the fastest, not necessarily the most politically astute, not the most educated person based off what you said, how does sending like the strongest and fastest people show how good of a country you are? And it's not only just how your athletes perform that shows how good of a country you are. It's also a big nationalistic slash honor thing to host the Olympics, right? These countries spend billions of dollars to host an Olympics. And in the process to it, they usually build new stadiums, new housing facilities, clean up the city. Uh, you want to showcase how great your nation is by having a beautiful stadium or whatnot I, I know like the beijing olympics was like famous because in china they made it very nice well, everyone was shocked as to how nice all the conditions were there right and uh leading up to it you know as we know like china has a lot of environmental issues smog and you know things like this but like leading up to that they apparently ionized the clouds so monsoons of rain came cleaned up all the air and then like the olympics happened and it was perfect outside yeah and uh, at the same point of what you're making is how they make all these state-of-the-art stadiums and uh these beautiful sceneries for um when all these different countries come and perform in their uh designated sport there is a huge controversy with uh i think it was the last olympics was uh, the rio olympics because their countries supposedly like broke and they don't have any money that people are starving on the streets. There's no food in the markets. And they agreed to host the Olympics thinking that it would generate revenue for them. But in reality, the Olympics is a loss. It doesn't generate revenue for a country. It's a it's a huge loss. You spend billions of dollars on infrastructure for all these different stadiums and stuff like that. And then these people come for a week, spend some money. But it's not like millions I and mean, hundreds of millions of people are coming and spending money to generate you the revenue you need to make up for all of this spending and then afterwards with the rio olympics all of these stadiums and all these different places that they built went unused now they're just there's they, empty ghost they, towns yeah they look like ghost towns and they, they're empty they're disgusting yeah. they're places that nobody's going to go to ever again you know that that's a that's a good point you bring up. That's actually one of my biggest problems with the Olympics. And I have specific examples a little bit later about how when a, when the Olympics comes to a country and comes to a city, whoever lives in that city better get ready to get the fuck out. Like they'll literally the Russian example is in the Sochi Olympics. Sochi was a city like the people lived there. There's apartments and stuff. They just displaced those people, destroyed those apartments and they didn't, you know, set them up somewhere else. They just said, go. And they built this giant stadium uh, out of nothing, which cost them $46 billion. But I'll get into it later. I have like a whole page. Yeah, it's just a big flex, you know. And as you said, typically they don't make money. I know this like Tokyo one. Uh, I don't know if you guys like noticed, but everything said like 2020 Olympics. Why? It's because they spent so much money putting out all this 2020 stuff. They weren't going to get rid of it and put 2021 on there. You know, and they operated at a huge loss because they didn't have any like tourism because of COVID, right? So uh, it was empty stadiums. This was the biggest Olympics at a deficit yeah. ever. You, you know, clearly when you're sending like these strong men and women to compete and 
you want you're you guys are saying it's about honor and there's like all this patriotism going on. So clearly these events are political, right? Yeah. But I, I, you know, we could make an argument that the political side of it. W- Firstly, we don't have stories from the ancient Greek times, but since the beginning of the modern day Olympics, you know, the how political they are might might be seen. I think the earliest example that we have is the Berlin Olympics, right? 1936 is a huge, uh, you know, a lot of controversy during that time. Like, uh, so TV, this is very interesting to me about that Olympic specific TV, like, you know, TV became politicized now. It's one of the, it's like how you spread politics now anyway, right? But TV wasn't necessarily mainstream all over the world at this time, but it was televised. And the two companies, the Berlin Olympics, the two companies that televised it were two German companies. And we know that media, mass media, TV, movies, radio was a huge part of the Nazis' operations in terms of spreading their propaganda. And it's funny to me that the two companies, because we know that Hitler really wanted to uh, show off his, his, his Aryans or whatever, his superior race. He really wanted to show them off. And I think they won. They they actually did. They yeah. won the most medals. They right? had the most medals, and U.S. Uh, actually came up like second. But it's very interesting about that Olympics. So at the time, right? So so we have like Hitler who comes into power. I think in 1933 or something like this. Um, he comes into power. They enact obviously all these racist policies. Um, if you weren't an Aryan living in like Germany, that was a horrible time then. Right. Um, and a lot of like Western countries, as soon as Hitler was elected, they did take notice. And I was kind of shocked as to uh, how fast word spread back then, even. You know, this was like in the 30s, and you know, the media was still telling the story as to what's going on there. Like a lot of people were, were um, offended by it and they wanted to boycott the Olympics. Right. And obviously, you know, Hitler did not want any of these countries. To boycott because he wanted to show off yeah, his country. Except he didn't want country. J- uh, Jews or, or blacks at, at yeah, this. Yeah, event. he didn't. He but yeah. so the U.S. was going to boycott this Olympics. There was a huge push from, you know, from the U.S. that wanted us to, you know, to boycott. And at the time, the head of the International Olympic Committee was an American. His name was Avery Brundage. Um, this guy, he wanted the U.S. to compete. Um, he was also known as a Nazi uh, sympathizer. He uh, wanted the U.S. to compete, uh, did a whole bunch of like lobbying to make it happen, and ended up, um, you know, successfully getting the U.S. to compete in this. Right. Um, and also, what's interesting about this Olympics? So, you know, Hitler obviously didn't want any Jews or blacks, but the 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 Olympic Committee forced Germany to have at least one Jew on the team. Right, and wow. they ended up did. Uh, and, and it was a woman. Uh, she was actually going to compete in high jump for uh, Great Britain. So she, they pulled her from like Great Britain to go back to Germany. So wow. she, yeah, so she could compete. But also, not only that, um, this was the first Olympics where the U.S. actually allowed blacks to you know compete. Um, the the one Olympics prior, um, obviously many blacks qualified, but they just were not allowed to compete you know in the olympics and uh, actually the NAA um, CP at the time wanted all the black athletes to not go and they were like why are you guys going to go and compete for this country who doesn't like you and make it seem like we're we're accepted here or, or or whatever but they ended up going because 
they felt that it was more powerful to show that put these black athletes out on the world stage televised obviously and uh you know like they wanted to win and they did win and they did win and that's also why the u.s even allowed them to compete because they wanted to beat germany and yep. their best way to beat germany was to have these uh blacks there was you know, a movie you know, about compete. this, right? A, Jesse uh, Owens movie. Jesse yes. Owens, yeah, it's about there Jesse was a Owens, movie. Uh, there was a movie. Uh, I believe it was called Race. Or yeah, something like but that. it's and funny because there was actually 18 blacks who competed in this Olympics. Jesse Owens is the only guy. He did win like four golds. But, did any uh, of the other people win anything? Yes, half of the golds or half of the medals accounted for were from black athletes and there was only 18 of them and that's why when when the u.s came in like second how the nazis spun it or how like the germans like spun it was uh the biggest disappointment was the u.s because if it wasn't for the black athletes they wouldn't have you know done that well they they didn't want them to come to begin with because they know that they're gonna get wrecked yeah well you know actually so like hitler he 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 was there to receive all the athletes and stuff and when they won gold he was going to receive them but uh when like the germans won gold he was there to like give them their medals and whatnot but when the first black athlete was jesse owens who won he obviously left he (laughs) and then then they gave him an ultimatum they said all right either you're going to receive everybody or you're gonna hide out and he actually did not watch any more of the games he stayed down below watched you know what what's also always interesting to me when it comes to Nazis is like their love and affinity towards like the mythological things, you know, like Norse mythology, whatnot. So the the torch and they're really about symbols and putting on a show and all this, you know, things are supposed to be seen a certain way. So the the torch, theirs was a very specific torch, like uh so they actually used the sun's rays to light the fire at the original Olympia in Greece, okay? Mm. So he used the sun to light it, whatever reason. And then it traveled. There was 3,300 torch bearers until it got to Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. And then they gave it, then it started and whatnot. Yeah, it was amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, Yeah, dude, they really cared. And I also don't want to leave this out. I spent quite a bit of time diving into this Olympics, but I want to say that that Olympic experience... For uh, all these like countries and whatnot, they thought that like Berlin was great. Obviously, like they there was tons of Nazi flags and stuff everywhere. But the people were very nice to them. They treated all the blacks as equals there, so they almost didn't want to come back. You bring up a good point. Remember, I was telling you about Germany. In Germany, like the the black people there, they were never treated as you know like a subspecies let's say so germany like they have very successful black people there yeah well at the time though at the time uh, so what was going in yeah with hitler and stuff anybody who wasn't aryan was treated very badly right but part of the restrictor part of the deal that germany had to make in order to for all these countries not to boycott was they had to treat everybody equally even the jewish athletes right and so they uh, kept their word on that they did not keep their word with their own jewish athlete that one like woman they ended up telling her yeah sorry uh i you know i know you like came over here but you're not going to compete and we're not going to reimburse you for your travel and that was it so yeah that was the one thing where they went back on their word but other than that they kept their word they treated everybody well everybody was happy another angle that 
uh, I think is very interesting is the fact that we had these black athletes obviously represent our country in one way or another, whether uh, it be political or not. Um, this is in the 1930s, correct? And, you know, the civil rights movement didn't happen until 1954 and, you know, so on and so forth. So we at our home are still mistreating blacks, still not giving them the civil liberties and the rights that they deserve and are not being treated as equals, but then we want them to go represent our country. Because we wanted to win. Yeah, because we want to win, but then it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you win, but, you know, fuck the rest of you guys. Like, yeah, you know, to, yeah. to not uh, mince words. It's yeah, like, you come it doesn't really make sense how we are fighting a, a figure that is oppressing a whole entire civilization or culture, religion, you know, what, what have you. But then we're doing it on our own front because we want to beat these people by uh, and using people that we are uh segregating and harming and uh, not giving them the civil liberties that they deserve at the time we're taking those people and using them to represent our country i think it's very hypocritical and 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 in a way it doesn't make any kind of sense in a political platform whether or not we want to win or not it doesn't show the message that we really want it to show at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah, you yeah. know, like the famous story is Jesse Owens won four gold medals at the Olympics, but he came back and still had to sip from a different fountain or sit in a different seat or yeah. not walk in the same room. That's yeah. that's a tragedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, you know, like as I was going through this, a lot of, you know, like they had to go through a lot, right? Even on the boat ride there, uh, there was some black athletes who were in the first class with all the white athletes, but. Um, a lot of these people back then, it was like you didn't. If you were white, you didn't even really want to touch any of these people. You didn't want to breathe the same air. It was kind of like a, the big, uh, weird thing. But uh, in, in the end, they ended up like making a lot of friends, right? Um, it, whether it be in the Olympic Village or that, I think it was like a five-day, you know, boat ride, you know, to get to Berlin. They ended up like you know becoming you know friends with some of these people, but um, still, it just like highlighted the fact of um this hypocrisy that that america was living in at the time yeah and i think another you know in terms of the nationality question tying it back to your question about nationality i think it's uh really fascinating that all of these different people come from all the different places in the world right and then they compete and you know they should they show who's superior versus who's not superior but as we know America is a boiling pot of different races and different cultures and stuff like that. Um, so we can't say, oh, just because America is great, that doesn't mean necessarily that all oh, these people actually come from America. They can come from you know anywhere in the world. They, but since they were born and raised in America, they're technically American. But the thing, the point that I'm trying to get across is that we have all these different competing athletes from different parts of the world and they uh, different people from different countries are winning gold all the time so there isn't necessarily one superior race or one superior culture it it literally shows that there is not any perfect way of going about life or one perfect civilization in any way shape or form yeah you know but i could say that the reason why all these countries now compete they send their best of the creme de la creme they send them and I think it comes back to like our baser needs. And if you look at what we're trying to do is, is what we're trying to find out is who's the best. If it's political and we're sending all these people, there is one best race is whoever gets the gold medals, right? Yeah. That's the logic behind yeah. this, right? Yeah. Yes, but if you have it, let's say you have a, theoretically, you have a 
African American or or French person come to America and then they you know are raised in America and then they go and represent America, they aren't necessarily like the people who are from America that are supposed to be representing theoretically America like uh, compared to like let's say a Chinese person that was born and raised as all their ancestors in China and so on and so forth that go and represent China as what Chinese people are supposed to be and that actually happens a lot too a lot of like athletes will go to a different country who they might have some type of relation or like connection to even though they're not from there uh, so say there could be a like Jamaican like sprinter, right? Uh, as we know, like Jamaica's usually like they always win gold, right? And in, in you know in these races, but they might have, you know, maybe their their mom's you know, sister, so their aunt is from like Great Britain. So then they'll go to Great Britain to qualify for the Olympics and represent you know, Great Britain. Or like Pau Gasol playing for the Italian team. Versus exactly. The... Yeah, 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 exactly. He plays for Spain. A lot of these NBA athletes will go back to their home country, right? But um, I kind of want to go through. So, yes, they say that the Olympics is mostly about the athletics, right? But there's been all throughout the history of the Olympics, there's been these um, chances for people to take like political stands right whether it be the athletes or even like some you know head of state i mean we could go you know down the line here uh in 1948 in london obviously this is right after like world war 2 you know britain they banned both like germany and japan from the olympic games they didn't want them there cuz obviously we just got done with a huge war with these guys Right, so that's one little like political jab there. Um, also, the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne, there were actually two like political protests that were held. Um, Egypt, um, Iraq, and Lebanon all skipped those games. Uh, they wanted to like protest the Israeli invasion of the Sinai Peninsula at the time. Um, at that same one, it was Spain, Switzerland, and the Netherlands also skipped to protest uh the ussr at the time um their invasion of budapest right um but that was also interesting because you know budapest is obviously in hungary right but hungary and russia competed against each other in water polo that year very intense right this is where uh you know we had like a very like similar deal with china and with russia during like the cold war um during these times of heated points in these two like countries they get to almost have their battle right on the olympic floor or whatever a very well uh, said you know highly contested event but also very like famous for us here um in 1968 in mexico city we had a uh there was a big like protest who like what we alluded to earlier these mexican you know, college students were protesting because the government paid all this money for the Olympics, but they didn't pay any type of money for like social programs. And check this out. When they were protesting, the military surrounded them and opened fire, killed 200 of them. Over a thousand were injured. That was like right when the Olympics started there in Mexico City. And then later on in that one, uh, we obviously have the famous San Jose State Sprinters during the heat of the civil rights movement um you know we had the two um sprinters you know john carlos and tommy smith 
who like famously raised their fists for the black power right on the on the stand there in Mexico City. Um, they were also joined with a Australian guy who got the silver medal, um, and all three of them wore a, a human rights badge because there was you know, plenty of like human rights issues. Sorry to cut you off, like on, on that moment with Carlos and Smith, uh, they were actually banned from the Olympics yes. afterwards. Yes. And you know, he Norman was shunned from competitions afterwards. So mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though the, they did this great and like historically one of the most profound protests of all time yeah. in terms of the Olympics, they were banned and shunned for the rest of their life from competing ever again. And I want to like thank you for actually reminding me because I did have a piece on that. Um, so obviously they did that but this guy avery brundridge he was still the head of the ioc at at the time um and he was outraged by this right he was outraged that they like did that they deemed it a domestic political statement and it was a gross violation of like olympic like morals or whatnot but check this out so he tried to suspend them from the Olympic Village and ban them from the games or whatever. The U.S. Olympic Committee actually said no, like they were against it. Then he threatened to ban the whole Olympic like track team. And then they were like, all right, fine, you can get rid of them. But so the weird thing is this guy had no problem in the Berlin Olympics with the Nazi salute. Every time, like they won or whatever, they were doing the Nazi salute. He was cool with it, but he was a sympathizer, a, right? Yeah, he yeah. was known. So that's why after that Olympics, they actually removed him. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to remove him. To, so. put, to play devil's advocate in just this specific scenario, um, I mean, like when Americans are hear the national anthem, they hold their their hand to their chest, uh-huh. uh, you know, toward the heart and everything like that, which is in a way the nazis like nazis have their nazi salute i would america's form of salute be holding their hand to their yes. chest I you mean, are exactly still, right it, though it, it, even still but this is like relative to what we've agreed upon and seen because if the nazi sign was the hand on your chest it would be like oh, don't put your hand on your chest yeah well you know actually um he's right because uh that's how they that was his excuse right they were saying it, at the time it was a domestic um policy type thing right it was yeah, just because what they when did. their anthem was going on that's yeah. what they would do they would hold their hand up they right? would yeah exactly they'd do that or uh you know so here in america right we like put our hands on our chest or they would do a salute yeah like that right yeah. and like you, know, you even can see like you know i believe it's like pictures of jesse owens and some other athletes when they won they were doing a salute at the time but to continue on of the more like political things um in 1972 this is what I wanted to bring up a little bit earlier, but um, we had the Munich massacre. So obviously this is in you know Germany, and this one I, I was kind of surprised when I heard it. Um, um, so these Palestinians um, actually had infiltrated the like Olympic Village, and they killed two Israeli athletes, took nine others hostage. And uh, they were trying to negotiate the release of 200 Palestinian prisoners. Um, but the, I guess like the German police were not ready. There was eight like Palestinians also who were taking part of this. But so like the German police were not um, adequately prepared for this. So these guys ended up negotiating 
their way to a nearby airport. Police tried to ambush them, failed, ended up killing all of the hostages, all of the Israeli. Oh, man. Yeah. And then the police ended up killing like five of the eight. On, on that note, uh, what you're talking about, from the research that I did, I remember seeing a, a part in it that because of Germany obviously losing the war and uh, through, um, I don't know the exact organization, like the rules and the law of the land was that the military police and the military can't invade or um, be involved with uh, the local police or the state police force. So the state police force had these people like you're talking about when they tried to swarm the the plane and kill all these Israelis. They they weren't military trained. They weren't specialized in their field. They didn't mm -hmm. have the equipment that they needed. They used like assault rifles instead yeah. of sniper rifles. They were in the wrong positions at the time, mm. um, and certain things like that. Uh, you know, I know this is different from the Olympics, but like it, it's kind of important because when you think about it, like that, the military couldn't be involved in this. Yeah. The people who specialize in uh, you know counter terrorism couldn't actually go there and and fight the terrorist yeah. attacks that were going on yeah and you know you have to think there probably wasn't that many like terrorist attacks so they weren't even probably prepared for terrorist attacks and this was less than 30 years since like world war ii had ended germany obviously had to go through some major reconstruction and this country was just not ready right they were yeah. not ready to handle this type of thing and that was obviously a big political statement right so as we can see there's huge history of not just usually the athletes always, but it's people to use this Olympics, which is a world staged event, to get their ideas and their points across. Yeah, and when you look at the 1980s political event with Jimmy Carter, they even, Carter even threatened to rescind the passports of any of the Americans who tried to compete under just a neutral Olympic banner. Like you're seeing today, how Russia is technically banned from the Olympic Games, but there's still Olympic athletes who are competing that are Russian um, they're competing and then they're they're trying to feng shui the Russian um, heritage into it even though they're not supposed to but even to think like there's there's these athletes that want to compete but don't want to be politicized can't even go and compete and try and win a gold medal take politics out of it without being banned from the Olympics or being banned from coming back to your own country which I think yeah. is a little ridiculous and a little bit over over the top and it wasn't even just America Canada West Germany and Japan joined the United States in the stance yeah and actually I'm not sure if we stated but the U.S. did boycott those 1980 Olympics right that was by the direction of the president at the time it was Jimmy Carter we boycotted that Olympic because of Russia's invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah. One other thing, I mean, leading up to all these political stances, people building up this political tension in the Olympics, the end all be all, the whole reason for the Olympics was to be neutral, right? So the IOC came out with a rule, specifically Rule 50, saying you cannot make any political scenes or make any political gestures uh, that represent either your country or your ideologies or stuff like that and anything that's fighting one way or the other and in specific like the goal uh, explained by the commissioner of the IOC explained it was to, to suppress protests and keep the games as neutral as possible uh, and apolitical as possible. The Olympic Charter infamously states that no kind of demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda is permitted in the, any Olympic sites or venues. And 
right when it was passed, there was a huge controversy with it because everyone's an individual. Everyone has their own rights and liberties and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, they actually did a study. They took a survey of about 3,000, 3,500 Olympians regarding protests in the games, and they found that 67% of the athletes re responded said that they thought the medal podium was not appropriate for demonstration. They thought that that's a place that should be yeah. individualized, that, that like should be taken out of politics because everyone wants to have their own limelight, right? Everyone wants to be themselves and like show that they are who they are. And let's say there is a bronze athlete or a silver athlete or even a gold athlete, whatever, they do some political stance. That means that they're taking away from the special event that the other two people on the podium have achieved, yeah. you know, like, and I'm not saying one, one way or the other is right, but I understand the side of like, hey, this is my special event. Like, you're going to take all the attention away. Like, yeah. we all just did something great today. There was a problem with the study was that uh, supposedly 14% of the responders were from China, but that was a misproportionate amount of people yeah. who in Olympics, uh, when it was like, I think only 4% of the participants in the 2016 Olympics were Chinese. To kind of go off of that, Corey, my thing is there's some people or some of these athletes who compete in the Olympics, but where they're from, they don't have a chance to protest. Say you are like from China and you're, you don't like how things are going or whatever the government's doing, or you're from like Belarus, right? We have like the one you know, athlete from Belarus who had her deal um, this past Olympics. Uh, you can't protest there. You protest there, they like hurt you or whatever. But this is your chance to tell the world or at least let the world know or tell or show them what's happening where you're from. Yeah, and one specific quote that I think ties perfectly to exactly what you're saying, like there's people who like they can never ever get their face or get their point across to the world or get like a group that's being suppressed across. And there's this uh, person, Nikki Dryden, who is a two-time Olympian swimming from Canada, stated, uh, once you get to the Olympics, you might have one fleeting moment in the light without anyone editing you, which obviously is a big deal, right? Yeah. And Olympians who choose to use that moment to shine attention on something of deep meaning to them, they, like they shouldn't be punished, right? Yeah. And in fact, they should be supported and celebrated because they're using the one special moment, the thing that they worked their entire lives for, that they, they, they fought for, they suffered, they went through all these gru grueling processes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They finally get to the moment where it's like, hey, this is about me. This shouldn't be about anybody else. They're using that to represent a whole group that's either being suppressed or exactly. segregated or this or that. And you said that perfectly because they're saying it for a whole group. It's always bigger than themselves, right? Yes. Them standing on the metal stage or like the podium, that's supposed to be for them, right? But yes. when they choose to use that moment to help others, I think, like you said, it should be like celebrated because that's a very, one, it's brave, and two, uh, they're trying to help as many people as they possibly can in the only way that they could. So, that that's all well and good, what you guys have said, and obviously we have a clear answer of whether or not the Olympics are political. We, there's an evident... It's an evidently clear, it's right in front of your face, that answer. And it's all well and good that these guys get that platform and then get to talk about that group, but it's actually just their group. It's the group that they either identify with or it's the group that they they want to promote. The biggest tragedy in the Olympics, and I want whoever's listening to never forget this, 
is the people that were left behind in building the damn stadium. And the example that I have is Sochi Olympics because they don't have a voice. They got their homes taken away just like everybody else ever, always does. Not not a single person gets on there and says anything for them. You look at, look at the Sochi Olympics, it cost them $42 billion to set up. They also broke records of uh, revenue generation. And all that money just went to Putin and his best friends, okay? Sochi was... It wasn't a bustling city. It wasn't a popping off city, but there were a significant amount of people living. It's Russia. There's a lot of people. Sochi was like a shitty little town where a lot of people lived. They're already living in squalor, but they had apartments and whatnot. They first displaced every single person, like old people, moms, sick people. They literally displaced them into shittier like gutters. They destroyed, obliterated those buildings and then built a $42, $42 billion stadium and nobody said a thing about that. The same example we have in Brazil, like Corey was talking about. Um, this is just a thing that happens. And it also happens not just the Olympics, the World Cup. Wherever the World Cup goes, you got to build a new stadium. I was stadium. about to bring that up, like in Qatar. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Qatar is a different situation because basically it's like it's like a few hundred Qataris and then everybody else just lives there to serve them. So they'll move around, you know what I mean? <laughs> Everything you said is true, Ali. But what if one of those say like russian athletes who won gold in sochi chose to take the time to speak for those people who were displaced but they did they didn't <laughs> exactly you want to know why it's probably because their government if they were to go back home after that they would have been punished or their family would have been punished so they can't uh, you know they weren't brave enough i agree to and say I, anything I or they just didn't care because they didn't know anybody in sochi I, they I weren't agree. from sochi. And, I, and i say all this like sochi Rio de Janeiro, wherever it is, right? Just remember that the cost of these large global events, the cost of the Olympics is always more than it seems. So to answer the question, is the Olympics political? You're goddamn right it is. You just got to make sure that your country and your people have enough money to say something about it. And, you know, this year we had the Tokyo Olympics. A lot of controversy right off the bat behind these Olympics. You know, not more than usual, but it's still a lot as compared to, you know, we were only talking about uh, COVID-19 or whatever. And now we have all these other things to talk about. But a lot of mental health issues, um, drugs, protests, uh, a lot of athletes being, you know, reprimanded for not being aware of certain things. But what, what we talked about and we touched on a little bit earlier, too, is the pressure that these athletes are, are under where they just wanted to, you know, run fast. Now they have to be aware about all these politics and whatnot. But what's important to recall, because we put a lot of pressure on these athletes, we treat them, you know, uh, as superior and we, you know, hold them to higher standards. You got to remember that they're also human. They're also normal people. They're also religious. They, you know, they, they're human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, most famously from this Olympics was uh, Simone Biles. She was supposed to be the best gymnast in the world, expected to get all golds, and she obviously dropped out of a few events, citing her like mental health, right? This was our first big controversy this in this year's Olympics. You know, she had so much pressure. Everybody expected her to win gold in every single event she competed in. Yeah, so I, I heard that she she takes Adderall or something for anxiety or like to to perform, okay? And then she was not allowed to do it in Tokyo because of regulations in Tokyo as it is. You're not allowed to take Adderall or something or amphetamines or something like that, and especially not for work or whatever. They got a weird society. 
but she wasn't allowed to take them, so the presser just got too much for her. She cracked. You know what I mean? That's basically what it is. I didn't know I, that. Yeah, she I, couldn't I, take her anti-anxiety medicine or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I don't know necessarily about that. I, I didn't hear that detail. But what I did hear was that she had the uh, what they call is the twisties, where they literally can't tell up from down. Um, it's they can't control their bodies they don't know where they're spinning in the air it's like oh it's like imagine vertigo it's but like you're vertigo. flying through the air yeah. and one thing that you know on your point of they have this um that expectation. We, have, we, have, we have this expectation that they're supposed to perform that and they are supposed to compete for gold and blah 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 and if they drop out then you know that shows a sign of weakness and you know the in, at least in America and some of the major superpowers, like you're not supposed to show weakness. But when it comes to like gymnasts where they're flying through the air and they don't know where they are and they could land on their neck easily or land on like the wrong part of the leg, break their ACL and ruin their career forever. Like we need to take that into account. But I just think it's interesting that there's people who say, I don't care about your mental illness. I don't care about your anxiety. I don't care about what's going on with yeah. you. I want you to perform because you are sacrificing us winning gold because you don't want to perform because, oh, you have a mental illness. And I think obviously we're still in an adjustment period in our culture and society today in America of still shaming mental illness or not not thinking that it's as big of a deal as it truly is in today's society, especially with high-performing athletes. Because when you think about it, it's like you, you guys are performing on this high level for so long. You guys should be used to this. So – why why now are you giving up but in reality it it it's a big deal like to be performing at that high high level of society and that high level of performance over a certain period of time it's going to take a toll on your mental mental, your strength. mental health yeah it's a big safety issue but also um what she was able to do to br bring attention to the mental health aspect of things i think was huge um obviously it probably was hard for her in the time and she did take some heat here from like some people who were just flat out uh, not understanding but um it did bring a lot of attention that's like what we alluded to earlier you know these athletes they can do one little thing on the world stage there the next thing you know it's front page news and now it brings so much more awareness you know to their plight yeah i mean that's like a I think more so she was just trying to get out of there, you know, like then it being uh, brought to the attention. But yeah, I think that I think things should change, especially in this country in terms of mental health, the stigma with it, like psychology. You know, people are afraid to go to psychologists here and whatnot. They think it makes them less or for men, it makes them less manly. But you look at places like Argentina and Spain, even now Mexico, like going to a therapist is like a very normal thing. Like it's not a you it's you know you're not a psycho or something. And it's like a 1930s mentality to have now. Even you know like it's okay to get help when you need it. And uh, on top of that, you know, there my my brother's a professional athlete, and one uh, one thing that he said to me or that I was kind of shocked by was that there's there's team psychologists. Like every psychologist, I mean, every team hires psychologists, psychiatrists that the players go to on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to talk to them about their performance, what's going on in their personal lives, and try and talk them through anything that's, you know, maybe hindering their performance to obviously optimize their performance in the future, but help them because what they're doing is very stressful. Like, if you think in, the, in regards to the highest performing athletes, if they mess up once, their career could be over. 
not well, not not because necessarily they get hurt, but because they they fail or they they uh, say an unpopular it. opinion or yeah. like they don't do well and say one game and then they ha- they have that mental block now that it's hard for them to hurdle over exactly right, for the next game or whatever exactly and Simone Biles being able to bring awareness to that uh, is obviously great and um, one of the best places to bring awareness to mental issues. Uh, is that because everyone's watching, everyone in the world is watching, and everyone can understand and, in a way, sympathize with her. Uh, and, you know, person before the Olympics was Naomi Osaka, who who did the same thing um, with press releases. She's like, I can't do this press release right now or press conference because my mental health is being damaged and I can't take this anymore. And I feel like she was the first domino before Simone Biles came out and did the same thing, and it really brought a lot more power to the message that Naomi Osaka was trying to bring to bring to light. Um, another thing that kind of came out outside of Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka was Raven Sanders, who is a U- U.S. shot put person who won the uh, silver at the games. And um, while they're receiving their medals, she actually did one way or another, a peaceful protest that uh, was where she would intersect her arms into uh, an X. And it's meant to, like she explained it as, the gesture represents the intersection of where all people who are oppressed meet. And in her own, in her own words, she said, for me, just being uh, who I always aspired to be, to be able to be, to be me and not apologize for it, it and show the younger generation that no matter what they tell you, no matter how many boxes that uh, they try to fit you in, you can be you. And you know, that's a very powerful message because they're saying, hey, just be you. Don't worry about what other people think of you. You know, I, I find it interesting, the layers, not only on an individual basis, the levels within this thing, which is called the Olympics, the f- top layer being, you know, uh, politicians and people in power who want to win so that they're, they're, they look good or whatever other reason. Then you have the coaches and the athletes who really – just want to perform well and want to do a good job and want to win minus all these political then you have the bottom rung with the people that get displaced when these olympics come in which nobody gives a shit about nobody hears from to go back to whether this olympics or whether any olympics is political right we have decided to say yes that is the case but the extent of how political it is and how far you get that that's usually depending and for who, for which group are you advocating for? Does that fall onto the athlete? Is that too much pressure? These are all very good questions to ask. I think it's also like a motivation thing you know, for an athlete. Yeah, I guess it's like pressure, but I know, say, those black athletes in the 1936 when they were like representing a people at the time, right? Uh, not just Americans, but their people who were thought of as inferior right and that motivated them even more to want to win gold well there it is thank you gentlemen for coming together i think today was a phenomenal conversation Uh, i think we really we really learned a lot this time around too what we talked about this time was the ancient greek olympics what they looked like and the influence that they had on modern day olympics we looked at olympics are they political? Yes or no? And we did decide, I think it was a reasonable conclusion, that yes, indeed, they are political. 
We also then talked about what modern day events and in, in modern day Olympics looked like going back to Berlin, Amsterdam and the beginning in Athens. Then we talked about the current events of this Tokyo Olympics that surrounded the, uh, is surrounded around controversy. If you made it this far in the podcast, we genuinely want to take the time to thank you very much. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as we enjoyed it. And I hope that your drink is finished by now. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Ellie Lake, and I'm sitting here with Corey Bearclaw and Jordan Brown. Good night. Peace.